0: Due to the graphic nature of this cult's crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of racism and anti-Semitism that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13.
1: The members of Zarephath begged God for a miracle. Moments before, 18-month-old Joseph Ellison was playing in the dirt road when a member of their group accidentally backed over him with their truck.
0: The boy's mother, Ollie, had clung to his body, claiming the boy had died. She had carried his body into her cabin while the perpetrator had rushed across the compound to confess her awful sin to James Ellison, the boy's father and leader of their small commune.
1: The community watched in sadness as James Ellison arrived at the scene. But despite the traumatic news about his son, Ellison was calm. He had faith that everything was going to be all right.
0: Minutes later, Ollie burst through the door and declared that Joseph had somehow come back to life. Everyone besides Ellison was stunned. The miracle he had called for had actually happened.
1: I'm Greg Polson.
0: And I'm Vanessa Richardson.
1: And this is Cults, a Spotify original from ParCast. Every Tuesday, we look at a cult's practices, their leader, and their followers. You can find all episodes of Cults and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: Today, we're taking a deep dive into the covenant, the sword, and the arm of the Lord, known as the CSA, founded by James Ellison. From 1977 to 1985, Ellison's teachings about God's judgment and the end times transformed a peaceful commune of Christian families into a white supremacist terrorist organization.
1: In Part 2, we'll broaden our focus from Ellison to explore the CSA's acts of terror across the South. Then we'll detail how 300 law enforcement officers brought them down.
0: We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us.
2: This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details.
0: This episode is brought to you by The Weather Channel. The key to solving any mystery? Smart decisions based on the facts. In the case of the weather's effect on your well-being, turn to the Weather Channel app. It clues you in on how weather shapes your mood, health, and productivity, with insights built on reliable forecast data to help you thrive. Because mystery belongs in true crime, not weather. Be a force of nature with the Weather Channel app. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This
1: is Neil Strauss host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For.
0: Search To Die For in your podcast app to follow the show. James Ellison was born in a small town in Illinois around 1940 to white parents with Cherokee heritage.
1: But besides those small details, no one knows what his childhood years were like. His background is largely a mystery, but we do know of one significant tragedy that impacted his early life.
0: When Ellison was only 14, his father was killed in a car accident. Ellison then became the sole provider for his mother and younger siblings, a role that took its toll on the teenager and shaped who he became.
1: Vanessa is going to take over on the psychology here and throughout the episode. Please note, Vanessa is not a licensed psychologist or a psychiatrist, but she has done a lot of research for this show.
0: Thanks, Greg. The death of Ellison's father may have led to the early stages of narcissistic personality disorder. Psychologist Gerald M. Post explains that sometimes if the bond between a parent and teen is traumatically severed, the teen will seek attention from other sources. However, Post says, no matter how positive the response, the teen cannot be satisfied. They continue seeking new audiences from whom to elicit the attention and recognition they crave.
1: Although crushed by the loss of his father, Ellison didn't act out as a teen. Instead, he changed his energy into a new facet of his life, fundamentalist Christianity.
0: Maybe the idea of God provided Ellison with a father that he desperately desired to have back in his life. He dedicated himself to this faith in short order.
1: In 1958, at the age of 18, Ellison enrolled in Lincoln Bible College to become a pastor. His first three years of college went well, but things took a dark turn during his last two semesters.
0: One night during his senior year, Ellison claimed that he woke up to a swirling ball of fire hovering at the foot of his bed. The radiant red, orange, and yellow almost looked alive. But the vision didn't scare him. He felt at peace and believed he was baptized in the Spirit of God.
1: This baptism caused Ellison to question everything about Lincoln Bible College. He'd come to believe that the Spirit of God could make people speak in different languages, allow them to perform powerful miracles, and speak directly to God himself.
0: He shared his ideas with anyone who listened and challenged professors in the middle of class. Although the college's administration shared the same faith, they were more conservative than Ellison and believed he was too radical.
1: Ellison's antics became so severe that the college gave him an ultimatum. He could stop sharing his beliefs and stay, or keep sharing his beliefs and get kicked out. Ellison refused to give in, and the college was forced to expel him by 1962.
0: But that didn't deter Ellison from seeking to become a pastor. A few short months later, the 22-year-old traveled to a church in San Antonio, Texas, called the School of the Ministry.
1: The elders of the small church claimed the Lord had foretold of Ellison's arrival, so they took him in to train him as a minister.
0: In addition to sharing Ellison's beliefs about the power of the Holy Spirit, they introduced him to their teachings about the end times. The church leaders believed God was coming soon to punish people for homosexuality, drug use, and other activities they considered sinful.
1: After punishing the world's wrongdoing, they believed God would establish an eternal utopia.
0: These ideas about the end times took hold of Ellison. Something about the idea of bringing justice and order to an unjust and chaotic world spoke to him. He was desperate to absorb everything the elders taught him, and he progressed at a rapid pace.
1: After only six months, Ellison became ordained at the church and started preaching. He quickly developed a one-track mind and only preached about the end of the world.
0: Ellison found his work at the church fulfilling, but it didn't pay the bills. So a few months after becoming a pastor, Ellison got a side job as a metal worker to supplement his income.
1: That job would prove to have a massive impact on his life, as he made a massive impact on the ground.
0: On April 29, 1970, at the age of 30, Ellison found himself welding at the top of a very tall structure. He was bent over concentrating on his work when a steel beam hanging from a crane knocked him off causing him to fall
1: according to ellison the moment his body hit the hard earth below he once again saw the swirling ball of light he knew it wasn't his time yet the lord had a mission for ellison he needed him to continue preaching about the end times
0: when his vision ended Ellison's soul returned to his body, and he woke up in a hospital. He learned that the fall had broken his back, both his legs, all of his ribs, and his left ankle.
1: The damage was so bad that doctors didn't expect him to live. But Ellison knew God would heal him fully. Seventeen days later, Ellison walked out of the hospital and went back to church.
0: Motivated by what God had told him, Ellison spent the rest of the year speaking feverishly of the end times and the coming judgment of God.
1: By 1971, Ellison felt that his faith was calling him to something bigger than regular church sermons. He decided it was time to leave San Antonio and the school of the ministry.
0: He didn't leave alone. Seven other families joined him to seek a new place to live and worship.
1: Ellison may have felt lost leading his new flock, but then he heard the voice of God tell him to move 12 hours northeast and settle in Elijah, Missouri.
0: There Ellison continued preaching about the end times to the families who accompanied him.
1: In 1972, Ellison met Ollie Stewart, an attractive 22-year-old bank employee. Although she was still recovering from her previous abusive marriage, she was attracted to Ellison.
0: She found safety in his charisma and confidence. After dating for a short period, she decided to join their group. She immediately felt right at home, and she soon wed Ellison.
1: After they got married, Ellison felt God calling the group to move again. They relocated just a few miles across the Missouri border to Arkansas and settled in a place called Mountain Creek Resort.
0: The Seven Cabin Resort was an idyllic location in the Ozark Mountains on the edge of a beautiful lake, surrounded by forests and close to a small town. Deer hunters had previously used its lodgings during game season, but the resort had been closed for several years. Ellison struck a deal with the owner, who agreed that the group could live there as long as they took care of the property.
1: But it was more than just the good deal and scenery that drew them in. The members of the group believed Mountain Creek Resort provided a refuge from the corrupt world.
0: Ellison named the commune Zarephath after a city in the Bible where God ordered the prophet Elijah to undergo a crucible for his faith.
1: Although Ellison felt like he was being tested by God, not much seems to have happened from the time they moved to 1977.
0: Over those few years, the men found work as lumberjacks and became known as the Cedar Boys, and the women tended the commune and raised their children.
1: On most nights, the families all ate together and gathered to hear Ellison preach about God's judgment and return to Earth.
0: Ellison was still obsessed with the end times, but his sermons were relatively peaceful messages about the Lord coming back to eliminate suffering and establish his eternal kingdom.
1: But this piece didn't suit Ellison, and he was ready to take his preaching to new extremes.
0: Coming up, Ellison ramps up the intensity of his sermons and shows the first signs of running a cult.
1: Listeners, this month marks 60 years since John F. Kennedy became the 35th president of the United States, ushering his already prominent family into the highest enclaves of political power, But behind their storied successes lie secrets and scandals so severe, if it were any other lineage, they would have been left in ruin. This January, to commemorate this iconic milestone, dig into the dramas of a real-life American dynasty in the Spotify original from ParkCast, The Kennedys. Crime, history, mystery. This exclusive series from Spotify features your favorite podcast hosts, examining one of the world's most formidable families from all angles. Whether it's assassinations and conspiracies, corruption and cover-ups, international affairs, and extramarital ones, too, discover all of the Kennedy family's most controversial moments, all in one place. You can binge all 12 episodes of this limited series starting on Tuesday, January 19th, Follow The Kennedys, free and exclusively on Spotify.
2: This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be.
1: In the 1970s, James Ellison, his wife Ollie, and several other families established an apocalyptic religious commune in northern Arkansas. The group kept to themselves for the first few years, until Ellison's teachings became more erratic in 1977.
0: This shift in Ellison's teaching coincided with the arrival of a new couple at Zarephath, Carrie and Kay Noble, on May 15, 1977.
1: Carry was previously a pastor at a Baptist church in Dallas, Texas, but the other ministers didn't like his fundamentalist teaching, so they fired him.
0: Carry and Kay felt betrayed by their church, but they used the experience as an opportunity to reevaluate their lives.
1: They were a young couple in their mid-twenties and had always wanted a large family in the country, far away from the sinfulness of the city. So when some friends told them about Zarephath, they decided to visit.
0: The nobles thought the idea of a commune was a little odd, but they were willing to stay and check it out for a few weeks.
1: When they arrived, Ellison greeted them warmly, and Carrie was instantly impressed.
0: There was something magnetic about the stocky and strong 5'10 Ellison, but Carey couldn't figure out if it was his humility, confidence, or charisma. Whatever it was, Carey immediately felt at home.
1: That night, he and Kay enjoyed a large barbecue with the other families, and Carrie's respect for Ellison only grew. He admired how Ellison took care of his wife, Ollie, and their infant son, Joseph.
0: After the home-cooked meal, Carrie and Kay joined the others at Ellison's home to hear him preach.
1: Once the members of Zarephath gathered in the cabin, Ellison told them to open their Bibles to Revelation and began reading about God's judgment.
0: After setting the Bible down, Ellison looked up and said, God told me the only hope for America is for Christians to leave the cities and build refuges in isolated sections of the country so others will have a place to come when God does judge America for its sins.
1: Carrie watched Ellison in awe and desired the same respect that Ellison commanded from the other members. That admiration, combined with their shared beliefs about the corruption of the cities, Made Carrie and Kay seriously consider settling at Seraphath for good.
0: A few days later, looking to prove his worth, Carrie approached Ellison and asked to join the commune's group of lumberjacks, the Cedar Boys. Ellison told Carrie it was difficult work, but Carrie insisted he wanted to impress Ellison and fit in with the rest of the group.
1: Carrie had never done a lot of manual labor. As a child, he suffered from chronic bronchitis which meant bullies made fun of him for being unable to keep up during recess and P.E.
0: When Kerry was 13, he tried to help his brother-in-law build a shed, but got tired easily due to his respiratory issues. His brother-in-law blew up and said, If you can't keep up better than this, then just get out of here.
1: That crushed Kerry, and he avoided manual labor until he arrived at Seraphath. His earnest appeal convinced Ellison to let him join the Cedar Boys, and he spent 12 hours hauling lumber onto a flatbed truck. He struggled throughout the day, and no one helped him.
0: However, his determination to impress Ellison carried him through the shift. At the end of the workday, he arrived back at his cabin, stiff, sore, and covered in tree sap. But he didn't mind. He felt a new sense of confidence.
1: The following day, Ellison told Carey that he specifically ordered the other men not to help. Ellison said he wanted to test Carey's work ethic and resolve. Ellison claimed the Cedar Boys were impressed and wanted Carey to join their group. Of course, Carey gladly accepted.
0: Dr. Gerald M. Post explains why Carey may have been so drawn to Ellison. According to Post, people like Ellison convey a sense of conviction and certainty to people like Carey who are consumed by doubt and uncertainty.
1: Over the next few weeks, Carey continued working as a lumberjack and endured the brutal heat and humidity of the Arkansas summer. One day, he and the Cedar Boys were in the middle of a grueling day when a scream suddenly echoed through the woods.
0: A woman named Barbara ran to Ellison, sobbing, Oh, God, I didn't mean to do it. I didn't mean to do it.
1: When Ellison finally got her to calm down, she said, I ran over Joseph.
0: Carrie noticed that Ellison looked like he'd been shot in the stomach, but he quickly recovered. Ellison praised the Lord and loudly prayed for a miracle, as Barbara rushed them back to the resort where other group members had gathered around Ellison's cabin.
1: When Ellison arrived, Ollie rushed out of the cabin with Joseph in her arms. She said to all in earshot, I saw the angel of death trying to take Joseph, but I refused and took him back. Joseph's breathing again, but his body still hurt.
0: Carrie saw scratches and tire marks all over the little boy. Carrie wanted to look away, but he couldn't. He stood there, helpless, as others whispered that Joseph was barely breathing.
1: Yet, through it all, Ellison looked serene, as if the whole matter didn't worry him that much. He told Ollie to put Joseph into their car so they could take Joseph to the nearest clinic, over 30 miles away. He then commanded the rest of the group to pray for Joseph's healing before speeding down the gravel road.
0: Carrie and the others prayed earnestly and begged God to heal Joseph's body. It felt like an eternity, but in almost no time, the Ellisons returned.
1: They were beaming when they parked the truck and helped Joseph out of the car.
0: Carrie couldn't believe it, recalling later that Joseph was alert, laughing, and ready to play.
1: Ellison walked over to the stunned group and explained what happened. They went to the clinic for x-rays, but the doctors only found a tiny fracture in Joseph's arm, which was too small to put a cast on.
0: Ellison said as they drove back, he and Ollie noticed the abrasions and tire marks on Joseph slowly disappear.
1: Ellison claimed that he knew this miracle would happen. He told Kerry that God promised no one would ever die on the holy property of Zarephath.
0: As a former pastor, Carrie read about miracles in the Bible, but never experienced one in real life. He was so swept up in the moment that he didn't question what happened. He didn't stop and ask if Ellison went to the clinic, if they just cleaned Joseph up in the car, or if Joseph was injured in the first place.
1: Maybe Ellison staged the entire ordeal to impress Carrie and Kay so they'd finally decide to stay. Ellison knew Carrie looked up to him and would make a loyal supporter in the years to come.
0: If that was what Ellison wanted, it worked. For Carrie and Kay, this miracle confirmed that they were supposed to stay at Zarephath.
1: In the spring of 1978, after several months of living at Zarephath as official members, Ellison approached Carey and asked if he wanted to become a religious teacher. Carey was honored that Ellison saw so much potential in him and accepted the offer.
0: But this was only the first in a series of positive changes taking place. A few months later, Ellison collected all the money the Cedar Boys had earned and bought a 224-acre piece of property two miles down the road.
1: On one of their first nights there, Ellison added Horeb to the end of the group's name making them Zarephath Horeb. In the Bible, Horeb was the place where God told Moses to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. Ellison viewed himself as Moses and believed his followers were witnessing their own exodus from the sinful world.
0: As the community got settled in, the members of Zarephath Horeb lived in a barn on the property or in trailers.
1: Over the next several weeks, each family built simple cabins out of rough oak lumber for themselves without electricity and insulation, except for Ellison. As their leader, he needed something better than a cabin.
0: He had all the men help him build a two-story house complete with modern amenities, electricity, a TV, and a washer and dryer.
1: Purchasing the land and having a bigger house seemed to drastically impact Ellison's ego.
0: The sense of ownership caused him to become far more controlling over the members of Zarephath Horeb.
1: In the summer of 1978, after settling for a few months, one of Ellison's gatherings took a frightening turn.
0: The group was in the middle of worship when one member said, A change is coming. God says there are three of you that tonight must confess your sins and ask for deliverance. You are Rick. You are Eric. You are Tom. Confess your sins or else be purged from these people."
1: Everyone stared at the three men who hung their heads in shame. Each one then got up to sit in a special chair so they could beg for God's mercy in front of the congregation.
0: While confessing sins is common in church settings, it's typically done in private between a member and a spiritual leader to relieve that person from their guilt.
1: This was far from that. Instead of relieving his members from a sense of guilt, Ellison condoned humiliating them.
0: According to Joe Navarro, a former FBI agent who studies cults, cults make members confess their sins or faults, publicly subjecting them to ridicule or humiliation while revealing exploitable weaknesses of the penitent.
1: Carey was unsettled at first, but rationalized his fears. He told himself it wasn't invasive for anyone to make them confess, If anything, it demonstrated care for their spiritual health.
0: Later in the summer of 1978, Ellison received some reading material from a pastor named David Ebaugh.
1: Ebaugh was a preacher who reportedly predicted that natural disasters would wipe out most of America's population by the early 1980s.
0: Reading Ebaugh's work took Ellison's apocalyptic obsession to new heights. Ellison always knew the end times were coming, but now he suddenly believed they were just a few short years away, and Zarephath Horeb needed to prepare.
1: Ellison started preaching that his followers needed to save themselves from the imminent destruction of the world by separating themselves from it entirely.
0: To do so, Ellison made his congregation sell everything they could, including radios, TVs, and even wedding rings.
1: Ellison also ordered them to burn yearbooks, wedding pictures, and other keepsakes, so they wouldn't want to return to the outside world.
0: Carrie and Kay were both deeply hurt by having to destroy their possessions, but they trusted Ellison.
1: Years later, Carrie reflected on the significance of burning his keepsakes. He said, Separation from the past is a common ploy of cults. The creation of an extremist is composed of three parts, the limitation of information, a savior mentality, and a perceived enemy.
0: While Carey had clarity years later, at that moment he was blinded by his trust in Ellison. He didn't realize the first two steps were already complete and that Ellison was about to make the U.S. government their sworn enemy.
1: Coming up, How Ellison's new teachings turned Zarephath-Horeb from an eccentric commune to a full-fledged cult. Now, back to the story.
0: For most of the 1970s, the members of Zarephath-Horeb lived peacefully. They cut lumber and studied the Bible, but all that changed when Ellison encountered the writings of a pastor named David Ebaugh.
1: Ebaugh's teachings intensified Ellison's obsession with the end times and caused the members of Zarephath Horeb to prepare themselves for God's punishment of the world.
0: The 70s were a time of cultural upheaval and saw a huge output of satanic references in popular culture, like the band KISS or the film The Exorcist.
1: Many people embraced these occult references to signify their rebellion against the government, organized religion, and other traditional American values. Although offensive to some, they were ultimately harmless.
0: But Ellison believed that this celebration of the occult indicated the Illuminati and Antichrist had infiltrated the American government in an attempt to spread Satanism and communism.
1: As far-fetched as it sounds, Ellison's ideas about the government drew more people, including many families, to Zarephath Horeb, and the commune continued to grow.
0: Dr. Gerald M. Post explains how Ellison attracted such a following. He writes, At moments of societal crisis, otherwise mature and psychologically healthy individuals may temporarily come to feel overwhelmed and in need of a strong, self-assured leader. For many, the changes of the 70s weren't just a shift in cultural values, but a time of intense turmoil. In the middle of this, people felt like they needed some sense of security and stability.
1: This explains why people like Carrie and Kay were drawn to Ellison. His charisma drew them in like a moth to a flame.
0: And the group followed Ellison as he marched them closer to radicalization. In the fall of 1978, Ellison decided to take the money Zarephath Horeb made from selling their possessions and spent nearly the equivalent of $200,000 today on weapons and military equipment.
1: Every male in the group, including boys as young as 14 years old, was issued a rifle, pistol, and a full military uniform.
0: Ellison called himself the General, but he left another member of Zarephath Horeb Randall Raider, in charge of the military training.
1: Raider had no formal training, but he got the role because he owned several books about tactics and was the most familiar with weapons.
0: Raider made the men practice defensive maneuvers at all hours of the day and even conducted rapid response drills in the middle of the night.
1: In addition to the training, Ellison ordered his followers to build crude bunkers near their simple cabins and force them to make room in their attics for food and other supplies.
0: At one point, Carey's attic held over 3,000 pounds of non-perishable food, and he was forced to reinforce it to keep the ceiling from caving in.
1: In addition to digging out bunkers, Ellison instructed the cedar boys to cut down every tree beyond a 100-yard perimeter of the compound making it impossible for anyone attacking them to find any cover.
0: Despite their urgency, preparations came to a grinding halt on November 18, 1978. Ellison called the entire group to gather in his house and watch the news. What they saw shocked them.
1: A commune of 900 people called the People's Temple had committed mass suicide by following the teachings of Jim Jones. He had convinced them that drinking poison allowed them to leave this world and enter the bliss of the afterlife.
0: Ellison saw the horror on TV and took advantage. He used the story as an example to warn the members of Zarephath Horeb about false teachers.
1: He encouraged them to continue trusting in him because he would never lead them astray like Jones.
0: Everyone sitting in Ellison's living room nodded their heads, grateful for Ellison's leadership, unable to see how close they were to such extremes themselves.
1: As the members of Zarephath Horeb continued to transform their commune, Ellison made an alteration of his own. He got a military-style crew cut, which his wife Ollie said, changed
0: everything. After getting it, Ollie said Ellison gazed in the mirror for a long time and she noticed a different look in his eyes.
1: Ollie felt like Ellison's growing sense of grandeur poisoned his mind. She noticed he acted more aggressively toward her and the other women, both in person and during his sermons.
0: One of the first things Ellison did after receiving his haircut was preach that women were lower than men and that their only purpose was to bear children.
1: To remind women of their lowly position, he forced them all to call their husbands Lord, out of respect.
0: And simultaneously, Ellison's view of the government became even more disconnected from reality.
1: By the early summer of 1979, he had embraced the teachings of John Todd, another survivalist pastor.
0: Wanting to learn more about bigoted ideology like Todd's, Ellison, Carey, and a few other members of Zarephath Horeb visited the Christian Patriots Defense League headquarters in Flora, Illinois, for a conference.
1: During a lecture, speakers warned them that the Antichrist had infiltrated the American government and was secretly working towards a one-world order in which all nations would swear loyalty to Satan.
0: Members preached that anyone who tried to stop the government from doing so would be liquidated or confined in a federal enemy camp.
1: These speakers went on to claim that barcodes were also a sign of this emerging world order, They believed that new technology would be used by the government to track its
0: citizens. Ellison, Carey, and the other members who attended were horrified. They knew the only way to save their country was to act.
1: The members of Zarephath Horeb believed they needed to overthrow the government and establish a new government, one that honored God.
0: Armed with this new information and a renewed sense of purpose, they returned to Arkansas.
1: But Ellison didn't stay for long. He needed money for his plans and found the perfect solution. He heard of a job opportunity as a construction worker, helping the U.S. military build missile silos in Missouri.
0: While taking a pro-government job flew in the face of his beliefs, Ellison planned to use their money against them by buying more weapons and supplies.
1: When Ellison headed out, he left Randall Raider, the military trainer, in charge. Within days, Raider furthered his military agenda. Without Ellison's approval, he and some other men made silencers, grenades, and converted their legal semi-automatic weapons into illegal, fully automatic guns.
0: But these actions lacked Ellison's blessing, and they didn't sit well with most of the members, including Carey.
1: The members informed Ellison of everything that had happened when he got back a few months later. But Ellison didn't flinch. Ellison was happy that Rader had taken the initiative and didn't force him to revert any of the modifications.
0: The night of his arrival, Ellison gave another fiery sermon. He claimed that the police and military were the guards of the Antichrist government. He'd seen it himself while working undercover. He told the members of Zarephath Horeb that they'd eventually need to fight the police if they were going to successfully overthrow their satanic leaders.
1: Midway through his rant, Ellison produced a piece of raw meat and threw it on the ground, saying it was for the federal dogs to eat.
0: But the disturbing preaching didn't stop there. While he was away, Ellison had further indoctrinated himself in racist teachings, and the following night he told his followers what he'd learned. In front of the entire congregation, Ellison attacked specific ethnic groups he believed were responsible for America's corruption.
1: He said, this government, not my government, not your government, this Jewish-controlled government has declared war on our race. This government is killing our white babies through abortion. It is destroying white minds with its humanistic teachings of evolution. It is our patriotic duty to overthrow this anti-Christ government. After yelling this, Ellison stood at attention and extended his arm proudly in the air. One by one, the other men followed his example and performed the same salute. Carrie Noble was the last to join.
0: He couldn't believe they were proudly aligning themselves with Nazi beliefs. But Kerry wanted to make Ellison happy and be accepted, so he raised his hand as well. Zarephath Horeb was now, for all intents and purposes, a neo-Nazi paramilitary cult.
1: With this violent mentality, James Ellison could now mobilize his cult to go on the offensive.
0: Thanks again for tuning in to Cults. We'll be back next Tuesday with Part 2 of James Ellison and the Covenant, the Sword, and the Arm of the Lord.
1: For more information on James Ellison, Carrie Noble, and the cult they founded, amongst the many sources we used, we found Tabernacle of Hate, Seduction into Right-Wing Extremism by Carrie Noble, extremely helpful in our research.
0: You can find all episodes of Cults and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify.
1: We'll see you next time.
0: Cults is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Anthony Valsic, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Joshua Kern. This episode of Cults was written by Robert Heckert, with writing assistance by Giles Hobseth, fact-checking by Anya Bayerly, and research by Brian Petrus and Chelsea Wood. Cult stars Greg Polson and Vanessa Richardson.
1: Fact. Fiction. Fame. Discover the real story behind one of history's most formidable families in the Spotify original from podcast, The Kennedys. Remember, you can binge all 12 episodes starting on Tuesday, January 19th. Listen free and exclusively on Spotify.